Well, hey, I'm going to invite out somebody else. Uh, George, come on out. Uh, many of you uh, know George. Um, George Glaze uh, and his wife Valerie have been uh, here at ECOB for about five years now. And George actually was just elected to the elder board uh, for 2018 for the next three years. And um, I asked George if he'd be willing to come and share his story and share the word of God. Um, as I've been on retreat this week and headed back into the retreat after today. And so um, it's often good for you to hear from your elders. And it's been a joy walking with George over the last couple of years and really getting to know him. Some of you have known him from a long time ago, but um, that was before my time. And you're not old, though. No. Okay. No, not at all. Um, so uh, George has a great message to share with us this morning and looking forward to uh, what, what God's going to do and, and uh, speak to you as he shares. So if you would pray with me as we pray with George. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to come this morning and hear from your word. Thank you for what you're doing in George's life that this message is really not just something he's prepared for this week, God, but something you've been working in him for many years. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us. God, help us to be open to hear and, and to respond in such a way that would bring honor and glory to you. So, Father, uh, pray for George. Lord, use his words woven with your truth in your word and lead us this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, I don't know who's more nervous than me, but it could be Dan, because I think that is number seven or eight times he's prayed for me this morning. <laughs> so he's, he's probably a little leery of what I'm going to say, and I truly don't know what I'm going to say. I have been anxious, a little bit nervous uh, to do this. This is my first time uh, speaking from the pulpit. And I asked myself, why? Why would I be nervous? I I've done this in front of troops. Um, and I think, I think it's just I wanted to get out of the way. It's really not about you hearing it for your entertainment. Well, it'll be entertaining. <laughs> but it's really not about for me either. I, I worry about what outfit to wear. Valerie picked this out. It is Garanimals. Um, but truly, it's not about all that. It's about bringing glory to God. The worship, the singing you just did, did I hear the right music? Did I hear the drums? I, all that doesn't matter. It's worship for him. The goal is him to look down and say, wow, look at that. And you're bringing honor and glory to him. So the music, the worship, the sermon, really is hopefully going to bring glory and honor to him. That's what we're here for. So Dan, four weeks ago, asked me to do this, and I told him my human reaction, right, couldn't come at a worse time. Uh, how would you say that when you're going to be able to be up in front of the people of God talking about God? But two weeks ago, I started a couple week-long intensive courses. So I'm going to Cincinnati Christian down in, down in Cincinnati, and I take a week-long course for the entire semester. So they take an entire semester's class and they put it in four days for the New Year's because the first was Monday. So I went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it was on an easy book called Romans. <laughs> and then, then we had the men's breakfast Saturday morning. And then we had an elder meeting Monday night, five hour, not complaining. And then 
we had a week-long simulation class where I learned about discipleship and such. And that is another week-long intensive that I'll now write five book reports per class for the rest of the semester. Couldn't come at a worse time. But then I realize my words when I say that, it's in God's time. It couldn't come at a better time in my life because it won't mean, it'll mean that I don't rely on me. I, I, I won't. I, I need to rely on him to give this message. And so it put me in the right spot. <clears throat> so let me give you a little bit of um, class on Romans. I know it all, of course, after just five days or four days. There's two things to pull out of Romans. It's Paul, Paul's ability. Everywhere he went, I'm going to talk to the Romans. I'm going to talk to the Ephesians. I'm going to talk to the Corinthians. It, and he was not really talking about the specific sin at each one, although they were different. There were a lot of crazy things going on with people doing weird things at each one. He talked about that specific sin, but he pulled away and said, it's really the disposition of your heart to do that sin. So the sin's terrible. But you, knowing that it's wrong, wanted to do it. You turned away from God and you did it. It is the disposition of the heart that Paul would drive into us is the most important thing. I'm not discounting the sin, but it's the disposition of the heart. Of course, the day the Romans, uh, the Jews, the Gentiles were laughing at that, that's really, that's really easy for, uh, theology. It's really not got any meat behind it, it because they wanted to see acts. And, you know, the, how did you live that out? Well, so it's easy. And then Paul's like, really? Because God knows your heart. He knows the secrets. So what you do and even thinking like that, how's your disposition of your heart? So it's really not an easy theology. The other thing Paul did is he had a history with the Jewish nation of if you were doing something wrong against God, you deserve to die. You deserve to get smited. Joshua did it. David did it. They, they were killing people, and they were not held accountable for it because they were doing God's will. He fully thought that. Saul, before turning to Paul, Saul fully thought that as well when he, had, he watched Stephen get put to death, killed him with stones. He was righteous in doing that is what was in his heart. Then on the way to Damascus, they asked him, the Pharisees said, hey, go out there to Damascus. They're meeting again, those Jesus followers, and take care of them. He said, Roger that. He moved out, and he got knocked off his horse. And in that, in that uh, he had a couple things. He got a things going through his head. Um, one, uh, there's the mic. Man, oh, man. Um, the first one would be the, I got knocked off the horse. Uh, I'm kind of blinded right now. And this gentleman speaking to me identifies himself as Jesus Christ. He was put to death. And I'm now putting it together that I've been persecuting the people. He, for him, just saw Stephen killed. I'm in direct violation of God's will. It had to come crashing down in a moment. Paul, Saul, you were at direct disobedience of God. So what's the course of action for him? Death. Immediate just crushed. That's what he deserved. It had to come in, the realization that I've been now against God and I, should, I deserve death. And he didn't get it. He got grace. Had to blow his mind. Had to blow his heart. He took three years to go figure it out. He walked around and figured it out. And that's what he wants out of all of those books that he wrote is us to know the grace at that moment 
the grace at that very moment when you realize you don't deserve it and you feel that remorse. And in, I will tell you, in Matthew 5, the first two verses for the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is Jesus telling this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you that are just absolutely know your inadequacy, like Paul laying on the ground there had to feel. He just, I'm inadequate. I am not deserving. In fact, I should be crushed. Second one from Jesus was, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And mourn is a lot more than just weeping and crying. It is a brokenness. So not only am I in defiance of God and should deserve death, I am terribly, I feel just broken about it. I can't do it. You're hopeless, helpless. You just broke. And yet, you got Jesus um, with God will offer that grace to get you there. So it's not about the sin. The sin will be covered by the grace, but only if you acknowledge God and you have the right disposition. There you go. That was Romans in about five minutes. So Paul was desire for the early Christians to know grace. That's all he really wanted. It is my hope that my disposition today, my disposition of my heart, is also pleasing to God. So with that, could we uh, bow our heads in prayer? Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts from your word, by your spirit, through your servant. Amen. So my story. Uh, I grew up in Enon, Ohio, on the other side of Dayton near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where my father worked. Boy Scout, of course, Eagle Scout. Early on, I figured, it sounds corny, but it, it's true, that there are six ranks to, to Eagle. So I was a tenderfoot, first-class, second-class star, life, Eagle. Corny as it sounds, I wanted to be an Army officer, and so there are six ranks to 06. 06 is a colonel, and that's an Eagle. So I know it sounds corny, can't make it up. Um, I, was, I had that drive in me that early on. I also went around to make that happen, worked for Mike DeWine, back when it was little young congressman Mike DeWine, handed out flyers for him and ended up getting, uh, uh, he got nominated, of course, in the end, and then I got a nomination for West Point. I was able to go to West Point for four years, and then 30 years of infantry followed that. Along the way, obviously, uh, before really starting the 30-year trek, I married Valerie, Valerie King, um, which you know Ed and Judy and you know Jeff. It worked really funny in the first service when I pointed to Jeff and said, Jeff, I am kissing your sister. <laughs> He's not here, but when you see him, you can let him know I still used that joke. We got married over here in North Barron by Ellis Guthrie, and I believe it was Ellis's Guthrie last marriage. I got no comment on that. Um, and a year later, I believe he retired. And so, um, blessing to be uh, married there. We have two kids, Joshua and Amanda. Um, and they moved around with us for that 30-year career um, as well. We retired in Camden. You can ask Valerie. We retired in Camden. But that's okay. We got 20 acres. We love it down there. And uh, it was good to just get that 20 acres and step away from the noise and the things that had gone on previously in that 30 years. I can say that I always knew Christ. Um, as a United Methodist uh, youngin, I was sprinkled and then confirmed and then knew he was with me through the rest of my life. I spoke to him several times 
while downrange, and I know he spoke back to me several times. There's, I know I could not have gotten through all those situations that I've seen um, without him, and so I know he was with me. But I, uh, when we retired, we moved back here, um, joined the church, took the swim, um, all good, and then um, got encouragement by um, Vaughn Obern and Bruce Barnes to go to something called Bible Study Fellowship, and went over to Richmond, Indiana, and did the Bible Study Fellowship program on an easy book, Revelation. <laughs> so I got that thirst, I got that hunger. Um, Dan then asked Valerie and I to be uh, working with guest ministries, co-directing it. Um, but I went to, uh, uh, then we had this youngin, the next part of that story, this youngin came up here. He, I don't know why, but Joshua, this guy we hired, he came up and gave a sermon, one of his first ones, and it showed um, Adam and Jesus, the first five books and structure. And I was like, I got to have more of that. Wow, I didn't know there's this structure exact with the whole Bible. And I, I'm an engineer by trade. At, at West Point, and then, so I love that structure, and you can control structure, right? So, of course, I love it. Um, Joshua gave it, and I went to Dan afterwards and said, what do I do about this? I, the BSF, the, the hunger's there. He told me to go down to Cincinnati Christian and take every uh, theology course that this guy named Johnny Presley um, would offer. So I went down there, and I started up first class I walked into was Doctrine of Grace. Um, I was a month behind already. He let me in, and it was a three-day hybrid. So three days course for the semester. I was already two book reports behind, and Doctrine of Grace is one of the foundational ones. I came back to Dan. Did you know when I took the swim that it was, I mean, I died, and then I was row, and he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, I, I had that a little, but wow. I mean, it was amazing. Just, that whole course was just amazing eye-opening, and I could still control a little bit. Then I had Dr. Roadcup, spiritual formation. It's all about, really, this relationship with Jesus Christ. So much the theology, but really, it's the relationship we're supposed to have, and then live out with one another. That turned everything upside down, because now I can't control that. <laughs> so, yeah, so here I am um, living that out. Um, had a couple of epiphanies or first thoughts was, I am actually now, I have a couple degrees. I don't need another degree, but I'm now taking college courses for, um, not to build a better widget, but to build a better George. Um, and really of a relationship to Christ. And it has eternal ramifications. Mind blowing right there. I mean, because again, I've had a couple masters and um, this was the first one that had that impact. Um, after that, uh, I've been now asked to be an elder, and I appreciate that, and I look forward to it. All those classes that I took down there at CCU, um, still taken. You know, I don't want them. I don't need them. I just wanted theology, and then the spiritual formation. And then I've had small group class. I've had a simulation, which is building disciples. Um, they all add up to something. They all add up to a future here that I really don't know. Um, I'm in the back seat. And God is driving, praise God. Um, now we'll get to a little more, <clears throat> the combat piece. Uh, so 30 years, I was downrange for 36 months. I was at Desert Shield, Desert Storm, that's how old I am. Um, 
was down there when Jeff rolled out of here, the 1487 transportation company that they used to own the tank and then they don't own the tank and whatever. Um, that, that company rolled out of here and he was an E5 sergeant in 1990 and I was able to link up with him, believe it or not. I was in the 101st uh, lieutenant and saw a bumper number and told my driver to that, follow that bumper number and we followed it and, and we found Jeff and my driver comes back to me after 10 minutes, hey sir, they got showers, can I shower? And I'm like, yeah. Sir, they got a mess hall. I'm like, go for it. So he was pretty amazed. We, we hadn't seen a shower or a mess hall in uh, the 90 day, uh, yeah, since we've been out deployed there. <clears throat> Then I was in Kirkuk, Iraq for the second one in 2004, uh, and I was out of the 25th ID out of Hawaii. And that one I also saw Jeff, uh, the 1487 ones once again over there, thank goodness for, that, um, for this town for supporting them and in deploying them, the transportation assets needed. He was a CW2, I believe, a warrant officer um, running that unit really, and that's, uh, that's the kind of character Jeff has. I then had um, 806 soldiers in a battalion command in Baghdad for the last one, and that was during the surge, and that was 2007, 2008, and it was 15 months. Um, we go down range, and we're into the 12 months, which we were promised, and you can imagine telling these soldiers that they have all the ammo they'd ever want, <laughs> and now I've got to be telling them, okay, we're going to stay 15 months now, guys. Is that okay? Sort of. Didn't tell him quite that way, but you get the picture, it's a little hostile. But we went for 15 months. Um, during that time, uh, we sustained uh, 28 soldiers killed, or I'm sorry, 23 soldiers killed, and over 100 wounded. So there's lots to unsee right there, and then the majority of it probably I won't unsee, but I ask the Lord every day to work, work that through me. Um, get to the physical combat part. I do want to reference the uh, scripture. I gave you a lot of scripture. I put it all in the first part, spiritual warfare. The other part is fratricide. In, in putting this together, I wanted you to have the scripture back up. I'm not going to necessarily cover it all. But you can see Paul, as I spoke earlier in 1 Corinthians, is laying it out. He would do whatever the mission takes. That's my point right there. He would do whatever. He sold out to Christ. And he'd become a Jew if he had to. He'd become a non-believer, uh, whatever it took. And also, the second one is for Scripture that's essential. It's used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. But looky there, thoroughly equipped. God doesn't put us on a mission without thoroughly equipping us. Um, he, he does thoroughly equip us. The third one would be Nehemiah, and that's for the men to stand up, fight for your families. You're not sitting on the bench. You're called to stand up and fight your families, and this is part of your family in this church. If you're lukewarm on the, la on the next one, you know, you're sitting on the bench. I can't think of a more terrible way for Jesus to describe uh, the future relationship with you is that I'm going to spit you out. So consider that. And I'll get to the others here in a moment. So back to physical combat. Physical combat and spiritual combat, and I call it that combat because I know it's spiritual warfare, but warfare is something that we talk about in the Pentagon, colonels talk about. I'm talking about in-your-face combat, man-on-man, person-on-person. It's very physical, and it's emotional, and it's all that. It calls everything into place. So the physical combat and spiritual combat, they're both similar 
and they're both different. One big difference you notice, I noticed, the combat in Baghdad is um, physical and it's based on anger. Uh, anger, the army will never tell you this, um, don't put this on YouTube, but it is the one emotion that the army encourages. Uh, I know we say candor, compassion, and all these other ones, but if I want to get these soldiers to move across that street when there's rocket, RPG, and all kind of crazy going off and one of them's wounded, I have to use not compassion and candor. I'm using anger, and I'm saying some things, and they are going to move, and I will get them to move from there to there, and it's just leadership in combat. It is, it is fueled by anger, and if I get results, um, then you get promoted. So if you think about it, that's the way the Army is, and I think some of our jobs are probably that way here in the civilian world. But interesting, though, that the spiritual warfare, spiritual combat, is based on love. It's based on love, because we love each other, and then we'll do things for each other. Soldiers love each other as well, but ours is based on love and Jesus' example. So there are two, there's two distinct differences between physical combat and spiritual combat. So let's talk similarities. I like to break it down into individual training. So before I took these soldiers out of Germany and then took them down to Baghdad, I had to train them on a couple things. And how do you narrow it down to what really is important? Really what's going to keep you alive? Because that's, that's what we want to do. We want to get you physically trained. So you are you're PTing all the time, physical training. You are physically fit. You're strong enough to survive in really bad conditions. Your breathing's good. Your muscles are good. Uh, you can go for a long time, endurance. All that physical training will help you stay alive. We want to know that you can shoot and hit what you shoot at. That, that, so marksmanship is very important. And the third one is first aid. So that if you're hit, you don't bleed out before we get you to the, the aid station. So those three things, if you start doing that for a soldier, he gets confidence. He can handle it. He gets confidence in himself and his skills, and he'll do amazing things if they know those three things, and you've worked them on them real hard. Now you go over here to the other side. The other side is spiritual warfare, spiritual combat. will be prayer. We spend time in the Word. We get to know God. We get to know Jesus' character in that reading of the word. We pray about it. We study it. We uh, have quiet solitude. I like mine in the morning to not only uh, talk to God, but let him talk to me. Um, and then we worship. Those things build confidence, but they build confidence in Christ. Interestingly, they're not building it in me. I really find out that I'm not worth it. I'm not, I'm not worthy or I'm not adequate. But I build confidence in Christ. And then, interestingly enough, he turns it back and we succeed because we know he's already got the victory. So this is a much more interesting, complex system. Praise God. Um, important. Now, if you take one, you can't have one person out there. They're easier to get picked off, one person. So you want to put them in um, buddy teams. And we call them ranger buddies. My first class, uh, school in the Army was ranger school. And you always pair up. And you are never without your ranger buddy. Whether you're going to the restroom, you're going to the mess hall, you're out there in the field, you are with your ranger buddy. And the two of you now, as a unit, are better than just one. You can think about it, because I'm covering this sector, and this kid's over here covering this sector. We're just about covering all the sector. We cover a lot more. We have each other's back. There's security. 
Also, who can pull first aid on themselves? Well, it's even better if you got a buddy that can pull first aid. Now I'm relying on his skills. I hope his skills are up to date to keep me alive and not bleed out. But that's, that's what the ranger buddy does. I can talk to each other. We talk to each other. We rely on each other. Um, and I got to tell you, I have more than one ranger buddy. I, I have a group that I meet with. Rudy Roth's one of them. Um, Steve Schrader and Brian Brooks. These are guys that in my spiritual battle buddies, um, ranger buddies, I can call and text 24-7. They know it, and they can call me 24-7. If they need something, I'm going to be there. If they had a problem, if the wife of one of them are broken down on the road, and they can't, I'm moving. I'm moving there now, and they got to know that. And I get comfort to know that if Amanda, my daughter, was on the road, or, or if anything happened, I can call people. They would step in for me. They'd take a bullet for me. Um, not that I'd ask them, but that's kind of the mentality that you need to have the accountability, but also the reliability in, uh, in the spiritual combat. You've got to have someone you can call, and sometimes we lack that. If you look at uh, the next step would be putting two and two together, so two Ranger Buddy teams, and that'd be what's called a four-man stack, and you see that probably on TV, all the Navy SEALs and all, all that kind of good stuff, but you have a four men stacked up on a wall, and the first guy's looking at the door. He's going in the door. His job is going the door and go diagonally across the room. Second guy is looking here, and if he doesn't look here, he's going to have a problem because he's looking here. Third guy is looking back here, and the fourth guy here is looking in the back. And they're connected very lightly, but if one of them bumps the other, then the other knows, oh, what he... So they're all connected. They all move connected. They all feel each other, and when they move, they move as one. What a concept. They cover each other's sectors. If this guy ain't doing his job, then something can come out that door while everybody else is looking everywhere else. Everybody's got to do their job. Everybody knows how to shoot. Everybody's knows how to do first aid. And everybody knows, and they're physically trained so they can handle the mission. That's what we do in combat. That unit can do a lot more than just one. Can do a lot more than just the two. They can go into a room. They can cross the street. They do so much more. If you translate to that what we do here, who do you have for your four-man stack? Do you own a ministry? Do you go to etch? Could be the small group. Your small group is where you have this sector. One of you is really good at communicating. One of you would really do the prayer part, really good at it. One of you over here is, is focused on the outreach part. There are so many ways to apply this four-man stack to what we can do in the church. And it's, it's just we cover more ground. We can cover more sectors. We can do more missions if you have a four-man stack. It's empowering, and I believe, relationally, that's how God would have us. We're not to be alone. He built us to be in a relationship with him. Then we are to be in a relationship with others. So it is uh, uh, the four-man stack and your small group is how you live out your life. It, you're going to be able to share the successes and the failures, the pains, right there in that four-man stack. So I would ask you these questions. How is your individual training? And who is your ranger buddy? Do you have a ranger buddy? If you don't have a ranger buddy, there's two concerns there. One, for you not being covered. But who's being left out not being covered with you not there? It's two-way street. So do you have someone that calls you or... You have someone you can call, both of them.
how critical that is, how important that is in our walk. And do you have a four-man stack? Do you have, do you have four people at least? Do you have a, a support group? Do you have a small group that you can interact with, share things with, and, and get assistance at any time? I would tell you again that individual people are easier to pick off, whether it's in the physical realm or it's in the spiritual realm. Having an accountability partner and then having a four-man stack that you can call on for anything, you, you have a better chance to survive. And truly, I give this talk today because the combat is on. We know it's on. We watch it on TV. We see all the noise going on. And each one of you are loved, and each one of you are cared for, and no one wants to see you become a casualty, spiritual or in the physical realm. And now I move on to one more topic. <clears throat> And it's a little unpleasant, or it can probably make people mad at me. But, um, and this one's preventable. Because in physical combat, there are many horrible things, many terrible ways to die. But the one that'll really um, break a unit up is when we kill each other. And so, fratricide is another way to put it. Can you imagine me calling one of the moms um, of the 23 and having to tell her that, yes, ma'am, it, it was one of our own that killed him. I mean, it, it, just for me, terrible, but the mom, too. Look, you guys took my son downrange and you trained him, didn't you? And we train. We train specifically de techniques not to do that, shoot each other. There's technology out there not to shoot each other. Everybody has a glint tape on top of their helmet, and that talks, and the helicopters can see, so the helicopters don't shoot us. It's all laid out, and yet it still happens. And it comes out because of a lack of training. And that, like I said, the individual training, the ranger buddy, and the four-man stack, that training still comes out, and we still end up doing it. But it's preventable, and it's just terrible. So if we come on up here and have Olivia. This mic, does this mic work? Wow. Come on up here, Olivia, Anastasia. So I'm going to interact with these two ladies. Um, imagine that uh, they're coming into church today, and they're going to say what they've heard over the last month, over the last week. What are your comments, Olivia? The parking lot needs done, and it just has so many potholes. Nobody can barely drive in it. That's what they hear? What do you got, Anastasia? Why well, do I have to wake up so early? And Olivia's got a good one for you, too. One more. This carpet is so ugly. Why does anybody have the right to walk on it? This is what they pick up. It truly is. They didn't, they didn't wake up this morning and have that on their mind. We give it to them. We give it to them. We infect them with those kind of thoughts. They're distractions. If you could give a round of applause for these ladies. This is all preventable. They didn't wake up. They're not born with those kind of complaints and gripes and, and all that anger and angst and but we do that to them. We come in, the coffee's not ready. Or who thought about putting that on the wall? Or, I mean, I could go there. I could talk about drums. I, I'm telling you. Why do we let that stuff get in our way? It's fratricide. It doesn't originate in this building. This building was built. It was blessed. And, oh, where did the, where'd the griping go and the complaining? We didn't put it in yet. Oh, no, we'll wait for the people to bring it in. That's where it comes from, from us. We bring it into this place, this sanctuary of God, 
we bring it in individually, and it's like a cancer. Start complaining, you start griping, and then it spreads to them. And it truly shows the disposition of our heart. (laughs) We act out what's in our heart. Guard your heart, for out of it comes a wellspring of life. it, it, It just comes out of us. And what's worse is we put it in our children. We put it in the ones we love. We put it in our wives. If we're sitting there griping about things, then we infect them with a cancer. And the only thing to do with cancer is is cut it out. It's got to go. So I would ask you to consider that, that that needs to go away. Um, As one of the things that we do naturally, fratricide, we don't need to. We train better individually. Ranger Buddies and Four Men Stack, we train not to shoot each other then I would ask you, why do we? It was pretty heavy. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for combat? Because it's out there. Are you ready as an individual? And are you ready as a ranger buddy? Who is your ranger buddy? And as a fire team? Are you on someone's list to be called? Or can you call someone? And I'd ask you to do that because... As the individual, you can get picked off, and no one wants that. If we could uh, ask the ministry team to come back, back out, and we could uh, pray, please. Lord, we thank you for the gathering today. We thank you for the hearing of your word. Lord, we ask you to give us the right disposition towards you. We want to turn away from those distractions in our lives, and we want to focus on you and all that we do that you may have the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.